0: Hi, and thanks for listening to A Little More Conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara Byrne. Today on International Women's Day, we head to the front lines of the war in Ukraine, where one woman is braving Russian shelling to document the destruction of the country's second largest city, Kharkiv, and the attacks on civilians. A way, she says, to counter Russian disinformation and to show the inside world what is really happening to her hometown. With the entry of the second candidate today, Ontario MP Leslie Lewis, we take a look at the race for the conservative party leadership. Who can win and how can they unite the party? But first, with inflation at its highest in decades and the war in Ukraine driving up prices even further, we get advice from financial expert Melissa Leon, author of Happy Go Money, Spend Smart, Save Right, and Enjoy Life. Well, as if the cost of food, gas, and lodging wasn't already making things tough for a lot of people... The war in Ukraine, of course, is now driving up prices of some stuff even further. We all know about gas prices. Here's analyst Patrick DeHaan.
1: The primary driver for this is the Russia invasion of Ukraine and the corresponding sanctions that the U.S. has put on Russia.
0: Now let's not confuse the terror of being in a war zone and we've covered that a lot on this show over the last 12 days or so with having to pay a little more to fill up, but still we're the lucky ones here. But for many families, we know that making ends meet really isn't getting any easier. We've talked about rising food prices, the rising cost of housing. Everyone knows about that uh, as well now as the rising cost of food and other food items. So what's next? Well, general food inflation in January was about 6.5%. That's huge. And the next item to jump up in price could be staples such as bread, other baked goods, pasta, anything involving wheat. You may know why. Ukraine is one of the biggest wheat suppliers in the world. So prices are climbing to their highest in more than a decade, almost double what they were a year ago. Here's Stuart Smith. Wheat food.
2: few days or week.
3: And that would take some time to transition through. So just because wheat futures are up this week, that's going to take time to, to ripple through the entire supply
2: chain.
0: But it may well ripple through the entire supply chain and end up on your bakery counter sooner than later. So with supply chains already stretched, inflation at the highest in a long time and prices of everyday purchases rising even further, It is more important than ever to spend wisely, avoid debt, and just be careful. So we figured tonight, what better way to tackle that than with the help of a financial expert and journalist, Melissa Leong, author of Happy Go Money, Spend Smart, Save Right, and Enjoy Life. And she joins me tonight from Toronto. Melissa Leong, thank you so much for joining us this evening.
3: Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it.
0: I guess, I mean, just to start with the obvious, uh, I think we're all noticing the cost of just about everything jumping. Um, you often talk about financial winter in a different context, but it really feels like a financial winter for everyone this year.
3: Absolutely. I mean, we are kind also coming out of a very strange, to say the least, two years where, you know, we were all in the same storm, but we were floating in different kinds of boats. So some of us perhaps saw more disposable income because there was less to spend money on and maybe you were saving on on childcare and vacations and whatnot. Uh but there were obviously other people who found themselves with lost jobs, lost opportunities, um, and were very were very much struggling. Uh, and you're gonna see those inequities even further depending on um, you know, uh, lines of race, um Uh, whether you are a newcomer, and those kinds of inequities that exist. So yeah, it's been tough. And we are headed into another, uh, another storm in uh, 2022 that perhaps we weren't expecting. But that's not to say I mean, I, I try to keep positive. That's not to say that we can't find a way.
0: And that's, of course, why we brought you here too. I mean, and why I wanted to speak to you because happy-go-money, of course, is going to be the theme here eventually. Uh,
3: yes, but I'm, I'm here just for you Ben, and your listeners.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. Uh, what have you noticed? I mean, for me, really, what I notice now is just you know grocery shopping specifically fewer things on sale. Mm-hmm. Everything's kind of expensive. Uh, what have you been spotting with your with your financial expertise on?
3: Well, even in my own life, my grocery store bill. Uh, was shocking <laughs> this weekend, and my husband just he, he just looked at the bill and said, "What did you buy?" And yeah. I told him nothing really new. A lot of our the a lot of things that we normally buy have gone up in in price. Like and that is, I think, something that a lot of Canadians are experiencing. Gas, obviously, uh, as well as I got an email just this morning. Uh, alerting me to the fact that my variable rate mortgage is rising, so my payment oh. will be a little bit higher. So now you're feeling it across a number of fronts. And not to mention that your brain does not operate optimally under stress. And the last two years, everything that's been going on in 2022, there is no shortage of stress that we are experiencing. And it actually muddies our ability to process complex information, which we need when we are making financial decisions. And so on top of rising costs and everything else that is going on, you have this mental load that is also making it more challenging to deal with any kind of financial issues. It's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming.
0: That's right. Because you have two boys, right? You have a family and 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 obviously everything's getting getting that much more expensive across the board. Um, yes. What are some of well, the? Yes, sorry, go the, ahead. The,
3: the, and they, I don't know, they're bottomless pits. They just nonstop eating. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> the, there's a two-year-old, he eats nothing but carbs and uh he's uh hungry again every five minutes. So yes, you, you got to <laughs> feed them.
0: So looking across that and understanding that, that everyone is now sort of facing something where they may have ma- managed to avoid higher costs on certain things, like say you decided to no longer drive to work and you commute, but all of a sudden the price of groceries go up, or you've kind of cut back on a lot of stuff, but you still need your car to get from the burbs t- to your office, mm-hmm. for instance, maybe you're going back to work. Um, what are you recommending now for people who are really finding it tough to try to make ends meet with the price of everything around them going up?
3: I think you can feel overwhelmed when there is a lot of change happening. And I think in this situation, the best thing that you can do, the best thing that anyone can do during this time, even if you've done it you know, in the previous year, is to take stock this is getting extreme clarity on your situation. So if you haven't done, I'm not going to say the B word because that's not what it is. You're not trying to nickel and dime yourself by creating a budget. You're just under trying to understand what is happening with your finances, seeing how much money is coming in and exactly how much is going out and to where. So you're just going to download your bank statements over the last few months. And if you see a rise in certain categories, what that's going to mean is you're going to have to look at other categories and see where there is wiggle room. I know sometimes I say that and people say, I am living paycheck to paycheck. I don't know where I'm going to find this this wiggle room. But um, personal finances is, is personal, but there is a finite amount of money. You have to try to find a way to make it work without going into more debt, given that the cost to borrow is going just to continue to rise over the next little while. Um, and so once you understand that, then you can get Ruthless with your pen because I'm old school. I use a pen and a paper when I still do my budgets. And you go yeah. line by line and you see where you can cut. You see what you can um, allocate to something else as well. I would call all of your service providers in the next month and see if you can get better deals. You know, if you don't ask, you don't get.
0: Yeah. Tell me a bit about that because I realize now what's happened and I I find that this is true for, for everybody is that even the cost of what you would normally do has gone up. So when you, even if you do things, even if you're just sticking to the bare minimum, you're still spending a lot more than you were before. And it can be a bit shocking at the end of the month that you have a lot, you have quite a bit less money, even though you haven't. Done it, anything significant? Um, so you think service providers would be one place you could really start to? Uh, it's so easy just to ignore it. it. Comes in every month, you pay it, goes away. But uh, those a are good your place fixed costs. Uh, like-
3: yes, yeah. absolutely, Ben. I mean, I think people think, well, I guess I can cut this. You know, the this subscription that i had forgotten about. I mean, that's an easy. Uh, it's an easy removal of an item on your budget, but we have to revisit our fixed costs as well. Like I, like you said, just going back to these things that you normally pay and calling your insurance company and saying, you know, my car is sitting in the driveway. I'm not driving anywhere because I'm working from home. Can you cut me a deal? I did that at the beginning of the pandemic and they did l- lower my premiums, which was helpful. Um, or seeing if there is something better suited to your cell phone plan, given that you are, maybe you are also working from home and less uh, you need less um, data. For your phone, for your mobile, you don't. Maybe you don't need thirty voicemail spots for your mom to call you and leave you twenty-nine messages. You know, you're just trying to find any way to get something that's a little bit, um, a little bit lower, and then you're going to allocate the difference to something else. And every little bit counts. And you don't have to think of this as, oh man, I'm cutting this from my life forever. It can just be a, for a short period of time. So you know, I have, I have some of my friends who've decided to uh, forego a car um and try to share one with their with their partner i have friends who are trying to find more creative ways to carpool more more um flexible ways to perhaps if they go and visit a family member uh you know visiting my in-laws or something like that one of my friends said that they are going to try to airbnb their house on the weekend something anything to try to make up for uh uh money that they think they're going to be losing that they know is important for their life goals
0: I'm back with financial expert and journalist Melissa Leong, author of Happy Go Money, Spend Smart, Save Right, and Enjoy Life. We've been looking at ways to tackle this sudden rise in the cost of just about everything. We've talked a bit about taking stock of what you're spending, what's coming in, what's going out. Calling your service providers is a very good idea because it's easy just to let those things go, pay them every month, but there could be savings there. Um, Melissa, I want to ask you, and you mentioned this earlier, I mean, debt, of course, um, with interest rates rising is an even worse trap now than it may have been before. So that would be to avoid, obviously, at all costs, it goes without saying.
3: Well, I think people underestimate how terrible debt makes them feel. You know, in a, in a long list of life's most stressful events in this survey, it was 56 of life's most stressful events, getting into debt beyond means of repayment was more stressful than a period of homelessness, more stressful than your spouse cheating on you, more stressful than issues yes. with your boss. It actually ranked number five. So if you want to reduce stress in your life, if you want to be happier, then yes, tackling your debt, especially as interest rates are, are promised to rise as, as expected in the next little while, it's a, that's a worthwhile cause to devote your, your efforts to.
0: It sometimes can feel like a, like a bottomless pit though. How do you start, even these days with affordability such an issue, how do you start to climb out?
3: For sure. I think if you are in a place where you need help, then to turn to a non for profit credit counseling agency that will help you also with the budgeting end of that that's important you know looking to um, get some some <laughs> someone on your team to help you figure this out or just talking I know debt. Involves a lot of shame, but you could talking to your getting peer support, talking to your friends and family about not saying necessarily you have this amount of debt, but you have a money goal and you'd really appreciate if everybody supported you. You're going to check in with your best friend every Sunday and you guys are going to see whether or not you've met a money goal because people who had peer support were able to save more money according to research. And you know, it can be overwhelming when it comes to debt because you may have a list, you may have more than one debt, many debts. And so if you write them all down, and their respective interest rates, just choose one. That actually, according to research has shown to be more motivating. And when it comes to debt repayment, yes, of course, money is about math, but it really is about emotion. And so you have to find the thing that's going to motivate you most. So if you choose one, whether that's one with the highest interest rate or the smallest balance and pick it off, You know, if you just devote everything you can, free money, anything that you can find to this debt and you pay that off, then any money that you were servicing that debt gets rolled in to pay for the next one. And so on and so on. That's, it's how you gain momentum. And you know, I mentioned the word free money. Where do you find this magical free thing, <laughs> Melissa? Yeah, yeah. And so Ben, if, you, if you're interested, I have a couple of ideas for uh, ways that people can find money where they, they didn't think they'd have it. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, there, there it's a little bit more creative, so just bear <laughs> sure. with me. So right, we've got
0: about three minutes, so I'm. I'm got I'm, it. Let's the go. Guy. Let's do this. <laughs> go. Three minutes. Yeah, the government exactly. has Thank
3: stepped. <clears throat> so the the Bank of Canada is sitting on hundreds of million dollars of of uh, of cash that is unclaimed. It's unclaimed bank balances, uh, and unclaimed Canada savings bonds. There were. Uh, you know, 1.8 million unclaimed bank balances worth 100, like 678 million dollars. So, you know, if 10 years goes by without any account activity or contact between you and your bank, they will just forward this money there. So, there's actually a a registry. Just look that up. I looked up my father-in-law's name, and hey, guess what? There was some money there. So, wow. there's an, wow. a place to look. Yep. Uh, the Canada Revenue Agency, if they they have a section in your My Account portal, it's called Uncashed Checks. So if you maybe lost track of a check, probably you should go online and check to see maybe if you perhaps have some money waiting for you there. And it is tax time coming up. You need to make sure that you understand your tax write-offs. You need to make sure that you file your taxes to be able to take advantage of any benefits that are available to you um, and perhaps a return. So there's a place that you can maximize money and pay less to the government or get the maximum amount that you deserve. And finally, I think we get we lose track of these. I mean I do. It's my my drawer is a bottomless pit for gift cards and you know loyalty cards. This is a time to cash in your loyalty points. Make sure that um uh, you know technically loyalty points don't expire but there could be a caveat that if you are not active some of your travel points for example can your your account can go into um uh negative standing so just check that out and Gift cards. You know, if there's a gift card that you have been sitting, it's been sitting in your wallet for three years and you haven't used it, there are services like Cardswap.ca uh, where you can actually sell the card for cash uh, if you're wow. not going to use it. So,
0: all good advice. And if anyone wants to know more about you and where to get some advice, I know they can always read your book, Happy Go Money. But where else can they find you, Melissa?
3: I am most active on Instagram under uh, the handle Liss Leong, or they can find me at melissaleong.com to find out what I'm up to.
0: Well, all very good advice, Melissa Leong. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us tonight. It's been it's a difficult time, I know, and people are trying to find ways to make their money go a little further. So, your advice is much appreciated tonight.
3: You're welcome, Ben. Have a great week.
0: Well, on this International Women's Day, we're going to head to Ukraine. The city of Kharkiv is Ukraine's second largest, just a forty minute drive from the Russian border. Russian troops were in there almost, or almost there instantly the day of the invasion. They've been stuck there ever since. It's still under Ukrainian control, but it has been a main target for Russia since the outset of the invasion nearly two weeks ago. As destruction has rained down on the city, an estimated 600,000 people have fled the city of 1.5 million. One of them is Svetlana Prastupa, the 26-year-old English teacher who we spoke to last week. We spoke uh, to her again. We've been communicating with her regularly to make sure she's Okay. When we spoke to her originally, she was holed up in her 16th floor apartment with her mom and her sister lying on the floor as shelling was going on. Well, we now know that she says, quote, my family and I have successfully made our first step. We relocated to a city which is close to Kharkiv. We are going to spend a couple of days here, cool down and make a decision about what to do next. We are all safe. So happy to hear that tonight for Svitlana Prastupa. But nearly a million people remain in Kharkiv. And my next guest is one of them. Every day, Maria Avleva takes to the streets with her camera phone to document the destruction.
1: Hi there. This is Maria Avdeeva from Kharkiv, Ukraine. I am standing in front of the main administrative building, which was hit by Russian rockets several days ago, but we still have Ukrainian flags here because Ukraine and Kharkiv are fighting.
0: So why does Maria Ad- Ad- Avdeeva do this every day? Well, it's to show the world what is happening there. There are very few foreign journalists left, very few people documenting what's happening in Kharkiv. It's simply too dangerous. But Maria Avdeeva goes out every morning, as I mentioned, and and films these scenes of the destruction and then talks about them, shows people around her city and what it looks like now. Again, to show the world evidence that Russia is targeting civilians, targeting buildings where people live, targeting places where people gather. Here she is again today.
1: Hello friend. this is Maria Vdieva from Kharkiv, Ukraine. Today is the 8th of March, and I came today to one of the residential areas Putin and his cronies claim they do not bombard. Now you would see behind me that the whole district, the whole area is completely destroyed. The houses are in ruins. There is no electricity, no heating, no water in the nearby houses. I don't know when people will be able to return here.
0: Well, we just had to find out more about Maria and why she does what she does. So joining me now from Kharkiv is Maria Avdieva, founder and research director at the European Expert Association, a disinformation expert on Russia, and of course, these days, a Kharkiv resident. Maria, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure.
0: Tell me a bit about, we're seeing so many images from Kharkiv, including the ones that you've been sharing online. What is the, what is the current situation there now as far as the, the attacks are concerned and the destruction?
1: Yeah, So it is the, the 12th day uh, since the war started. And now people here live uh, when you would speak to them in the period when, was it already the war or before war? So that, uh, that, that point when the war started was like a major, uh, line for people in Kharkiv and throughout Ukraine. So f- through this period, Kharkiv was under shellings from, uh, grad rocket systems. And then also, uh, uh, probably five days ago, uh, the bombardment of the residential area started. And, uh, that was, uh, what was most threatening because, uh, uh, people were left without the, their apartments and without the uh, necessities and the the, uh, the infrastructure, critical infrastructure was also targeted by these bombardments, meaning that uh, some houses are now without heating, without electricity, without water supplies. And that means that many people tried to flee Kharkiv and go to Western mm. Ukraine or, or somewhere abroad. And uh, it was very hard to do because uh, there was no safe road and still there is no safe road, no green corridor. So Mm -hmm. when you are moving in your car somewhere out of Kharkiv, you might become an easy target for for Russian missile. And uh, that is why, and also there is no fuel. So it is very hard to, uh, to find any petroleum here in the city. So even if you have a car, there is no possibility to for you to to fuel it and uh, there is no transportation as well so for most people the only way out was the uh, railway yeah, and th- th- there were huge amounts of uh, thousands uh, of people on the railway station trying to to be evacuated from Kharkiv. And it was really difficult because the capacities were apparently not enough for this number of uh, Kharkiv residents. And today we've got report that generally for this period since uh, 2012, of March, since the war started, uh, 600,000 people were evacuated from Kharkiv. But that means if Kharkiv is one and a half million city, right. that another 900,000 are still in the city. So that's a lot of people. And right. people are facing food shortages. Uh, and uh, there are no supplies, or no not enough supplies of uh, m- of medicines and uh, the water supplies. So uh, it, it is uh, very hard to to live in such conditions for a long period of time, especially for elderly, for people with disabilities, for people with uh, families with children who are hiding for for almost two weeks now, somewhere in basements or in the shelters. So of course you would see the city devastated and destroyed uh, areas. And uh, no one is on the street. People stay inside. Of course, it is heartbreaking to see Kharkiv like this.
0: And you've been documenting what it looks like. I noticed from the videos that you shot in different parts of, of your city. Of course, you're, you're almost always alone. You're almost always walking alone. What is it like to walk through your city now?
1: Yes, it is almost never uh, any people outside. You would see people only uh, in the morning standing in lines in front of the shops because it's uh, almost uh, not possible to get inside and uh, you will only find what is available for today. For example, bread and some cereals uh, on the table before the shop and that's the only way how you can buy that. Uh, And uh, so there will be people in such places and... uh, Throughout the city there will be no one and when you walk, uh, you kind of try not to be uh, on the open space and uh, every minute you are looking for, for some kind of shelter. So if the shelling starts, you will be able to, to, for, to, uh, to go and uh, hide somewhere. And uh, of course, the city center, which was always lively area with many uh, cafes open and people. So a lot of people walking there with their families and children to see it like now like this, deserted. It's uh, very, well, it is very hard to, to, to watch and to see Kharkiv like that. Uh, but I try uh, to go uh, as far as I can because I can only walk and uh, um, make videos and show the world of uh, the war crimes committed uh, by Putin here because uh, Russia denies this war crimes. They deny they are killing civilians. They deny their bombarding residential areas. They call this war special military operation. They... Hide the number of losses and uh, hide the number of uh, of losses of uh, vehicles and personnel, and also generally the situation uh, here in Ukraine. And that is why I think this is what very important to to show people uh, around the world what is actually happening here.
0: Because Maria, I gather every morning or afternoon, you you go outside, you leave your place, and you go out into the streets, and and you take these videos. How did you come up with the idea, and and how 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 scared are you when you're out there?
1: Well, it was kind of uh, mostly accidental because I for, before that I just didn't have a very uh, uh, didn't have a, a very uh, active and uh, presence on social media uh, and used it mostly for communication with my friends. But then uh, when I am researching Russian disinformation and at the very moment uh, the war started, I saw that a huge wave of disinformation spreading not only in Russian sources, but Russia tries to spread this kind of messages throughout international media, claiming that uh, this is uh, not, uh, uh, this is uh, some kind of conflict, it's not a war, they are not bombarding everyone and uh, uh, they are not destroying the buildings, only hitting the military, uh, military equipment and military facilities. And this is complete lies. And the only way to show that someone is lying is uh, to show the evidence, the, the concrete uh, videos and footages of what is really happening. Uh, they still claim that this is fabricated, so people would come to my Twitter account and post messages that it is not true and that is all uh, staged and things like that but I of course have evidences like on my phone and uh, I can prove that and uh, for any you know forensics uh, expert mm-hmm. will say that these are that th- these are real videos uh, and I we need to collect as many uh, as many videos as possible and I want to also to create initiative to ask people to send them to a special like, account where they will be uh, held because we will need them afterwards. There is already a, uh, a case in Hague on, on the war crimes committed by Russia. And I really want to see those who, who did this, those who gave orders for these uh, bombardments of uh, civilians and residential areas to sit be- in the court and to be punished for what they have done in Ukraine.
0: So this is your way of fighting back, obviously, and and there are still people, even when you walk through the destroyed remnants of different neighborhoods in Kharkiv, there are still people claiming that yeah, there there are
1: yeah, so there there still there are people who who would come and uh, and say that this is not true, but all Russian propaganda machine now is working for that. So they 24-7 spread huge amount of disinformation. I have never seen that before. Started started trying to cover everything up, to hide everything, to claim that it is not happening. But it is not possible to do now because everyone has a camera, iPhone, uh, I don't know, uh, just uh, any, any device that could be used to fix and to uh uh, video uh, uh, what is to shoot what is happening actually and there is no way you can go and hide uh, the truth now but they try
0: i'm speaking with maria Avdieva, founder and researcher of the european expert association a disinformation expert and a kharkiv resident right now documenting the destruction of her city by russian shelling including of civilian areas, uh, right after this, I want to ask you, Maria, more about uh, about what lies ahead, how long you will stay, um, and how important fighting back Putin is for the rest of the world. Because you've talked about this a lot, we'll be back with that in just a bit. I'm back with Maria Avdieva, founder and researcher of the European Expert Association, a disinformation expert, a long student of Russian disinformation, and right now a Kharkiv resident documenting because there are so few people there right now, so few foreign journalists there as well, documenting for the rest of the world what's happened to her city uh, and telling me that, of course, even though she walks around her city each day taking these images of the destruction, she's still getting uh, people on her social media accusing her of lying. Um, And how important it is to use information as a weapon to make sure that Russia is held to account for what's happened there. What will you, I mean, how different is it? How long can the city sustain itself now with 900,000 people there and supplies in increasingly uh, short availability?
1: It is hard to to say exactly, because we have an example of Mariupol, uh, another Ukrainian city which is surrounded completely by Russian troops, and the situation there is just critical, because uh, uh, Russia blockades the city, there is no possibility to leave it, and people are stuck inside, and there are no supplies of anything, and the mayor of uh, Mariupol asks all the time for, for any kind of green corridor but russia every day they uh would say that yes we are uh, we are doing this but then the shell and continue, the bombardment continues and people cannot leave mariupol so yeah. uh i think that the russian plan might be the same here as well so what they will try to do is that they will try to encircle the city and uh like blockade it from all all, all the uh all the parts but uh kharkiv is much more larger than mariupol and uh uh, i suppose that it is it will be difficult and also ukrainian military are fighting back very effectively
0: there's sanctions coming in today the u.s announced they're they're boycotting russian oil exports or imports rather you're hearing lots of good words you're seeing sanctions but that doesn't really help you right away on where you are does it
1: Yes, yeah, sanctions are really great, and we are thankful to all the countries, and especially uh, the United States and Canada and Britain, who supply us with, with all the defensive weapons, and uh, uh, now are united on on the sanctions that will hurt and are hurting Russian economy, and are. Uh, so so will create a very difficult situation for russia to survive this economic crisis crisis they are now facing but it is uh it will work in some kind of middle term or long-term perspective and for for now it doesn't stop russia from from bombarding ukraine and uh from uh targeting ukrainian uh, cities and that is why what Ukraine asks now is to close the sky above Ukraine. It means that uh, the the sky will be closed and Russia won't be able to use air fighters uh in in ukrainian uh air, air sky, so that right. is very important but uh, uh i i think that i we have heard today good news in this uh in this direction as well so that possibly it will be not uh, throughout ukraine but there will be some areas where there they will be guaranteed uh, Uh, that um, uh, the safety of the sky will be uh, supported by uh, by our partners and allies. Right.
0: Will you stay and continue to make these videos?
1: I want to stay as much as I can because this is my home. I feel that I belong here. I don't want to go anywhere and run from uh, Russian invaders. It's like uh, when you live in your home peacefully and you have plans for the future and you know, uh, you have everything set up and then the robber comes into your house. And, uh, for me, the, the, re- the, uh, my reaction would be fight with him, not to run away. And that is mm-hmm. what my, uh, I am doing right now. I, I fight as I can, the uh, reveal information and, uh, help with with everything i can to do here right uh, right at this moment but then of course i i completely understand that at some point living in the city might become uh, impossible because for example if there will be no heating or no electricity and uh, there the only possibility will be hiding in the basement then of course it well at some moment uh, i will probably need to relocate somewhere but generally i do not Want to leave Ukraine in these difficult times because we see President Zelensky, you know, in Bankova street in his office every evening. He is not going out of Kiev, but and, and Kiev is also under constant bombardments and under shellings. And many other Ukrainians are still here protecting and defending their homes because it is what we feel we need to do now.
0: Maria Avdeeva, thank you so much for your videos, for keeping the rest of the world informed about what's happening in your city. And stay safe. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ben. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for,
0: for having me. Uh, another woman, or the first woman, to enter the Conservative uh, leadership race today, Leslyn Lewis, the Ontario MP, announced her candidacy today on social media, joining Pierre Polievre. Uh, we expect Jean Charest to enter the race in Calgary on Thursday as well. It's being called a battle for the soul of the party. A right turn or emerge merge back into the middle. A big tent party or something? different from what we've seen before. September 10th is the date that that leader will be chosen. Those running have until April 19th to throw their hat into the ring and until June 3rd to sell membership. So how is it shaping up so far? Are there any surprises out there or candidates waiting to enter the race? And who is best suited to challenge the Liberals? Joining me now is Laurie Williams, a professor of political science at Mount Royal University in Calgary. Laurie, thanks so much for being here tonight.
2: It well, it's my pleasure to join you.
0: We've been asking about influences. I suppose I should ask you too. Someone who, a woman who, who you looked up to as a mentor or as as an
2: inspiration. I'm going to say my my grandmother, my Baba. Especially now with what's going on, what's going on in Ukraine. One of the most incredibly loving, um, caring people I ever had the pleasure to know.
0: And someone of Ukrainian descent. Yeah. Yeah it's uh, it's amazing in canada we've been talking about this for for days now just the sheer i mean 1.4 million canadians can have some uh lineage back to ukraine or the or what is now modern day ukraine so um l- speaking of, looking at the political race itself we saw leslin lewis come in today um do you think that change is it, was that a surprise at all and how do you think that changes the race so far
2: well no it wasn't a surprise leslin lewis uh Basically, came from obscurity to to rank third in the conservative race in uh, in twenty twenty. Um, she hasn't been, I, I would say, a prominent voice in terms of what's going on in national politics, but but certainly is a an important voice in the party. Though she is a social conservative in some respects, has uh, more moderate views than let's say Pierre Poilievre. So could could offer for some people an alternative, um, someone who speaks both to, you know, personal values that might be to the right, but also uh, a bit more pragmatism, perhaps.
0: I was speaking with Tasha Carradine uh, just before this, who announced that she was not running uh, yesterday after pondering that for several weeks and instead backed Jean Charest. What do you make of Jean Charest's candidacy? I know, I mean, I grew up in Quebec. I was, a bit, I was honestly a bit surprised uh, that he would be seen sort of as that uniting figure on the right, but who knows?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's for many people a long shot because, as we know, uh, someone who hasn't sort of been active in front, front and center in politics tends to fall off of that recognition uh, radar that, that people often have. The huge advantage that that uh, Charest has is that in in Quebec, uh, Pierre Poilievre is very unpopular in Quebec. He's got real liabilities there, and and Charest thinks that he can um, can hold Quebec, ready, bring them into the fold. Uh, conservatives don't have a lot of seats there right now. He's hoping to sort of build that up, offer an alternative to the Liberals in Quebec and and to the Bloc, frankly, in Quebec. Um, but he's announcing on Thursday in Calgary, because he wants to show that he's reaching out to the West as well. I think, you know, that's potentially um, advantageous uh, strategy. The big advantage that, that Jaret has is his, his sort of deep roots, uh, really in the Conservative Party federally, in the Liberal Party provincially, people are trying to make, make much of the fact that he was uh, a liberal, isn't a true blue conservative, and Stephen Harper's like to, likely to oppose him on that basis. But he's got an extraordinarily uh, strong set of connections. He can certainly build a campaign, generate memberships, uh, attract volunteers uh, and money. Um, So he, Pierre Poilievre, and uh, I would say Patrick Brown, who are also expecting to come into the race, these are the folks that are going to be the heavy hitters in terms of organization and financing
0: yeah Patrick Brown is an interesting candidate too because um I guess as in Brampton now but but he is where do you think he would fall within this this spectrum? Where does this battle start to divide if if he comes into the race?
2: Well, he's very much a centrist um so so far we we basically have two people uh, that are further to the right of the, of, the, of the party, and we've got two people that are, are centrists, uh, or we're expecting to have a, a Patrick Brown and, and Jean Charest in the race, and they're both um, centrists, former progressive conservatives. Uh, think, think They are thinking, as might uh, 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 Peter McKay and, and others like him, they're thinking that the key to defeating the liberals is to be able to appeal, um, to moderate conservatives or or swing voters. People that um, may or may not want to support the liberals may have done so in previous elections, but be, can be persuaded to vote for the conservatives <clears throat> in a future election. And the problem is that the folks that are leaning um, further to the right will not appeal to those centrist or swing voters. It looks like Poilievre, is thinking that the key to winning an election is to draw people in from the right, to to bring people back from um, from Maxime Bernier, perhaps. And and you know when you look at some of the writings where the vote was split, assuming some of those people who voted for Bernier would have voted voted for conservatives um, had they appealed to their principles enough, um, that's that seems to be the direction that he wants to move the party. Whereas people like Charette and and Brown. Um, want a bigger tent party that can uh, embrace those that are further to the right, um, but also appeal to more moderate voters.
0: It really does sound like a battle for the soul of the party, though, in some ways, because these are two very different visions uh, for where mm-hmm. this party goes from here, and it's and after watching what happened to Aaron O'Toole, it's hard to see where the move to the middle, uh, where the big tent candidates such as Jean Charest, it's hard to see them being able to unify. Which seems, you know, at least from a from a spectator's point of view, to be a very fractured party right now.
2: It is, it is very fractured, and United Conservative Parties do have these problems. So they've got the, the, the fiscal conservatives, the moderate conservatives, they've got the social conservatives, they've got the libertarian wing. Uh, and when we look at federal politics, we've also, we've also got regional visions that make things very difficult um, for conservatives. So these are um, forces that are actually pulling the party uh, apart. Again, federally, but also as we're seeing here in Alberta, it just is extremely difficult to govern a party that has so many um, competing and and, uh, opposing forces within it. Stephen Harper managed it uh, by basically keeping a tight lid on and control over the party, um, insisting that people not speak about the kinds of policies, at least not publicly speak about the policies, that would, would be a liability in terms of trying to win a future election. Uh, saying that they that he wasn't going to legislate or deal with some of those social conservative views, um, and and sort of focusing on um, sort of the the moderate conservative vision. Having said that, however, uh, we're hearing that that uh, or reading that that Stephen Harper would oppose Jean Charest, partly because they were sort of opponents um, mm-hmm. when Stephen Harper was was prime minister. Uh, <laughs> Jean made no secret of his disdain and uh, criticized him publicly regu- regularly. And and Stephen Harper wants a true conservative to be elected. Um, and I, that that's the thing that sort of puzzles me because I guess Stephen Harper thinks he, he was at heart a true conservative, but he governed very pragmatically, not at all ideologically. And he managed to keep control over those ideological sort of tensions. Um, while he was leader, whoever becomes the leader of the Conservative Party is going to have to figure out their own way of manning, managing those divisions, either by inspirational leadership and vision or um, or by the sort of tight control that, that someone like Stephen Harper uh, exerted. I I, I'm just going to... back to Aaron. O... Sure. Sorry, I was going to say about Aaron O'Toole. Um, part of the problem for Aaron O'Toole is that he campaigned for the leadership to the right wing of the party, to social conservatives in particular. And then he pivoted to the centre to try to appeal to a broader range of Canadians, and it just didn't work. Um, it, it angered people who felt betrayed.
0: I was going to say people hold, I remember my time in Ottawa, people hold long grudges in politics, so I'm sure Stephen Harper remembers very well what Jean Charest said about him back when. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess the other big question is, who runs for the Liberals? And if if this is all about, you know, I'm not Justin Trudeau, and suddenly someone like Pierre Pellievre finds themselves facing somebody different, the whole Mm -hmm. tactic, because really what you're hearing now is, you know, I'm not Justin Trudeau seems to be kind of the, the main rallying point for at least one section of the conservative party.
2: Yeah. Um, it's hard to know exactly who would be the, the successor in the Liberal Party, but I think a lot of eyes have been on Christian Freeman for a long time and for very good reason. Uh, she has led a number of very complicated files since coming into government. She negotiated a new trade deal with uh, the United States and Mexico against a very hostile US uh, and protectionist US government, managed to campaign quite effectively or to lead a campaign quite effectively um, to to Preserve much of what was in the original uh, free trade agreement, make some sort of gains for Canada, and not lose too much, which was probably the best that can be managed there. Um, she worked in intergovernmental affairs quite effectively, uh, and now both as finance minister and some of the things that she's accomplished at finance, as finance minister, but particular, particularly her um, her leadership, frankly, in this this horrific uh, set of issues in Ukraine. Um, it you know she's a she's written both as a journalist and as a, as a book author about the international financial system. She is not allowed to go into Russia because she's seen as such a, a threat there, and um, appears to have been influential. I don't know how influential, but appears to have been a significant influence in in uh, some of the un- the United sort of uh, sanctions uh, and restrictions placed on Russia currently. Um, her the respect that she enjoys her her uh, focus her intelligence her det- her determination um, and and sort of the 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 persistence and getting things accomplished with a good sort of plan and strategy in place and not deviating from that that's earned her a lot of respect and um, you know she may not be the most charismatic of leaders I don't know how well she'd do in a in a national campaign just based on her, her political persona as compared with, with Justin Trudeau, but she's, uh, she's got a really good record to run.
0: Well, big announcement from the white house today, not an unexpected one. The U S is initiating a full ban on Russian oil and gas and energy imports. U S president Joe Biden says, of course, that will affect American daily life. Gas prices. there, are obviously going up as fast as they are here at the same time. Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney was in Texas today, making a pitch for Canadian oil to make up for that difference. Um, Laurie Williams is here, professor of political science at Mount Royal University in Calgary. I'm just wondering from your perspective, it feels like the energy issue has got, gotten right back into the eye of the political storm now that this is now going to be a very hot topic in the next year and a half or so. Yeah,
2: I think you're right in a lot of ways. Um, first of all, uh, obviously, um, the whole idea of production and transportation of oil is going to be front and center again. Um the, the reality is that if Europe re- even decreases its imports from from uh, Russia, the price of oil is likely to to increase uh, around the world unless unless other suppliers can ramp up production sufficiently to to balance that out. And and that doesn't look like it's it's uh, short on the horizon. Um, I think there are, there are still going to be uh, significant concerns around. Just managing environmental concerns, reducing um, emissions, um, you know, taking those environmental uh, concerns seriously, and, and generating investment for the long term with that sort of balance between energy and the environment. So, so we're seeing Jason Kenney right now saying, "Well, you know, if we if we build Keystone, we can we can um, you know make up for some of the lost supply from from Russia." But the reality is that. It's not the pipeline that's the problem; it's the production. Um, we're hearing that that you know, with uh, enough lead time, and it's going to take time. Uh, Canada, or at least Alberta, could boost its production um, as much as two hundred thousand to four hundred thousand barrels a day. But that still leaves uh, a shortfall of somewhere between two hundred and seventy-two and four hundred and seventy-two thousand barrels short per day um, into into the U.S. Uh, if we want to get more oil to the United States and do so on a short-term basis, Keystone isn't going to be the solution to that. It'll have to be uh, either line three or, or uh, oil by rail. And um, I see. Go ahead.
0: Sorry, Laurie, I, I cut you off. Go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say that there's also a lot of questions being raised about the energy-environment balance in Alberta. I, you know, Jason Kenney likes to talk about ethical oil compared with the the dictatorships in other countries that are being looked to but we've got a kind of oil that raises as we know significant environmental concerns and uh, although many of the oil and energy companies are, are, are sort of striking that balance more effectively it's not something that jason Kenney spent a lot of time highlighting and as we know he's been in a bit of a combative relationship with environmentalists and the governor of mission Mich- uh, michigan um this isn't going to win, uh, support for those who want to try to balance the energy and the environment. And it's not going to support long-term investment as effectively as that more balanced approach might do.
0: Yeah. I have about a minute left here. I did notice that TC energy said today that they would not, uh, would not reopen the Keystone XL pipeline project, even if there is political pressure to do so. Um, in 30 seconds, I guess just I guess what we're really going to need to see in the next conservative leader as well is some sort of balance that pleases both people who are in favor of you know, ex- increasing uh, the amount of energy that we export, but also at the same time recognizes that there is a climate crisis.
2: Yeah, and, I, and that's going to be one of the challenges. And I, th- I see this for Poiliev as well. He's criticizing Jean Chappé for, uh, for supporting the carbon tax. There's got to be something in the conservative platform to address environmental issues because many voters cited the number one reason for not voting for the liberal for the conservatives rather was that they didn't have a credible climate plan um so i don't know what they're going to do about that but the leader is, is going to have to address that effectively if they want to win the next election
0: laurie williams thank you so much for your time tonight i appreciate it
2: well thank you ben it was a pleasure